back to the Love is the Author podcast. I have a special guest today, uh, Dave Cipriani. And Dave is somebody that I met a few years ago in town, and we've been kind of dancing around um, some eventual hang that finally happened around my birthday. And he came over with his guitar, and he's a musician. And um, do you want to say hi? <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi listeners i'm dave yeah dave's a long time meditator uh within the same traditions uh some of the same traditions that i've studied and um namely shambhala um i guess he's been meditating within the shambhala tradition 30 years is that right about 26 26 27 Gotcha. Yeah. And most notably, I haven't heard the story of you hanging out with Pema for a month, so we'll get into that. Um, do you re- do you remember first running into me, or like, do you remember how this whole thing I, started? I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I just remember like seeing you at the farmers market. I might have been like busking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the listeners, oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, I, I busk, or I used. To, I haven't been doing it recently, partially because of the pandemic and just other things but yeah just busk and of course i'm an unusual busker because i'll be playing indian music or maybe i might sometimes i'll do my other guitar but uh just i knew that nobody else would be doing indian music out of the farmer's market right yeah and i think we started talking or something and and uh, first met your wife right mm -hmm. at uh at a a can like a day seminar on emdr was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. It was uh, a friend of mine who's um, who's a EMDR EMDR yeah um, guy. Uh, he's a Buddhist, longtime Buddhist, uh, who got into the EMDR game and written. He's written a book about it. His name's uh, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> God, I haven't thought about him in so long. Steve Danziger, and. Uh, so we were at this seminar, we had bought some tickets, and there was a table, I guess, where your wife and and our crew from our center had been put together, and we got to talking, and I heard that she lived in Ojai, and then had a practice out here. Or is her practice in Santa Barbara? Her practice is mainly in Santa Barbara, uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. she has a little bit of practice in Ventura one day a week, and then some people in line. Gotcha. So we met there, and then I was hoping... I'm going to push this closer sure. to you. Whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. That's better. Um, so we met there, and then I think I ran into you both at uh, the farmer's market or something like that, and she introduced me to you, and then I started seeing you around, and you'd be playing, and you were playing Indian... It felt like ragas on this, yeah. on this guitar that looks like a slide guitar that you hold in your lap. Mm-hmm. But it's what's the history on this in, instrument? Right. So um, I got to study Indian slide guitar. I play Indian slide guitar. Um, studied with Pandit Barun Kumar Paul, as mm. uh, one of the major pioneers mm-hmm. uh, in India as well as the U.S. He, um, How did that happen? How did you get to study? Yeah, that's definitely the one of the classic when the student is ready, the guru appears yeah. stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had met. <coughs> technically, I had studied with a sitarist uh-huh. on uh, my old classical guitar in like open tuning mm-hmm. um, for like a year and a half. And that was kind of my first um, true exposure to Indian music. Like he would just, each week he would give me 
uh, a cassette and he, like you'd he'd like bring a blank cassette and each week you'd be like, here, listen to this, Ravi Shankar, Ali Akbar Khan, mm-hmm. um, Ridge Bishan Cabra. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that there was an Indian like guitar tradition. I was just like, in my weird 20 something naive brain, I was like, I could do it on guitar. Uh-huh. And, um, and I stopped for a couple of years and, uh, just like for, for various life reasons, mm-hmm. but I kept listening and listening <clears throat> and, um, did you feel an, a special connection to this music that had just landed in your lap that you hadn't had before? Is that kind of it? Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, if, the way that it sounded to me, it sounded connected to meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, you were already meditating at that point? You know, I mean, action, yes. I'd been meditating for several years at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I mean, actually, like, so we, we, Jamie and I were talking about Coltrane before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened, I mean, I can go back even farther if you want the, the, Do it. the more distant history. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in college, I started listening to Coltrane, and I got out of college and I learned uh, maybe about half the soul off the first movement of love Supreme. Yeah. Like I learned it on guitar. Mm -hmm. Love Supreme is John Coltrane's like his epic masterpiece. Yeah. Um, um, uh, an album that, that, uh, is what coincided with his spiritual awakening. It's basically like the hymns of his spiritual awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, and it was around the time that I was starting to become a serious meditator and um, <laughs> a f- funny little strange confluence of events. I was having a lot of hand problems from over-practicing and mm. other stuff mm-hmm. from college. And a friend of mine was like, well, you should try slide guitar, play, playing slide, and you can keep playing, but you're not going to wear out your hand. I'm like, mm. oh, cool. And so I went into this open tuning. I didn't, it's funny because people often be like, hey, man, are you into Derek Trucks or like some other, right. Dwayne Allman? And I'm like, the only slide guitarists I've listened to that weren't Indian that I cared about was the edge from U2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and not to bust on Dwayne Allman and Derek Trucks no, are awesome, no, but sure. like they just didn't, they weren't people that called me. Yeah. And you were, you're, you're indigenous to Baltimore. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> you grew up in Baltimore. I didn't, right? I didn't grow up in Baltimore, but I lived in Baltimore. Oh, is that right? Where'd yeah. you grow up? So I grew up mainly in Annapolis, oh. Maryland. Oh, gotcha. Um, my dad was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot until uh-huh. I was 12. Uh-huh. And then we stayed in Annapolis from that point on. And um, But I lived in Baltimore longer than I lived anywhere else. Gotcha. So, like, I after college, I moved to Baltimore. Um, you know, I started playing slide. And when I started playing slide uh, in this weird open tuning, and I was trying to get Coltrane phrases, it sounded to me like Indian music. Mm. Um and I, I could go back and listen to the recordings and be like, dude, that doesn't sound like any music at all. But that's because mm-hmm. I actually know any music now. Mm-hmm. But in my really fresh mind of 24, 23, however old I was, um, it sounded like Indian music. And you so made I made the connection. That's I made cool. some sort of connection. And, and mm-hmm. what I found out later, uh, as I was telling you before we started, is Coltrane actually studied with Ravi Shankar. Oh, right. You know, so he was really into getting those sounds. And a lot of his. Uh, some of the way that his phrases were built, particularly mm-hmm. around Love Supreme, mm-hmm. were coming modified out of Indian music. Mm-hmm. So I was doing this kind of droney, whatever, proto faux raga sound on my guitar. And I mm-hmm. met, a, met a teacher, Jai, Kishore, Jai Kishore was his name. Um, he was the sitarist. And um, I studied with him. And then um, 
And that was on Indian slide guitar or sitar. It was at this point. no, that one was on a classical guitar with a oh. with a slide. Oh wow! And uh, and then, but then I, you know, kind of stepped away from it. And Jai was the one who gave me all the cassettes. Who was like, here, here, listen to this. And nice. then I started to understand more of what was going on there. And then I kind of came to a point where I was like, all right, you know, I think I'm I, like I had to work out some obstacles in my life, and they were at least for that time addressed. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I think I'd like to go to India and, and study with somebody. And um, within a month of saying that out loud, I met <laughs> met my teacher. Wow. I mean, I'd heard a recording of him. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny, actually. Like I, uh, uh, I'd heard I had a recording, and I was like, oh, I, I like him the best. Like hmm. you know, I'd heard Vishwam Mohan Bhatt, Devishish Bhattacharya, Bridgeshan Kabra. These are all major innovators too. Uh huh. Um, Vishwam Mohan Bhatt, for those who don't know, recorded a meeting by the river with Rai Cooter. Oh, yeah, right. Um, you know, phenomenal album. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I was at this all-night Indian concert in New York, and there was a sitarist who was offering, oh, you can come to study in India. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, and like I sent him an email, didn't hear back. And then in the meantime, I heard about a concert and a workshop hmm. that my soon-to-become teacher was giving. And this, you put the connection together. This is one of the three that you'd been listening to. Is that yeah? I was yeah. like, oh, that's him. That's, oh wow! That's that. That's, that's that Indian slide guitarist. He's the best. Yeah. And uh, you know, and it was like five hours away. And luckily, I was friends with. Um, I don't know if you know Steve Gorn, or do you know who he is? Steve Gorn. He's a Bansuri player, oh, American, yeah. uh-huh. and he's you know the first generation of American masters of Indian music. Oh wow! No, I don't know. And uh, he's also. A long-time Shambhala person, oh, is which he? is how I originally knew him. Gotcha. Um, I didn't even know he was like this well-regarded Indian musician at first. Uh-huh. I just met him through like a workshop or something in yeah. New York like 20-something years ago. And, uh, you know, I called to leave a message. I'm like, hey, can I come to that concert and workshop? And Steve called me back. And he was like, hey, Dave, it's Steve Gorn. How you doing, man? Hey, yeah, come on up. And, oh, do you need a place to stay? Come on up. And I'm like, I'm like whoa, okay, great. So it was like a five, six hour drive to where it was. Doors are just opening. <laughs> and, the doors, and, and I, you know, went to this workshop and then like I got to stay there at the same place he was staying. Mm-hmm. One of his senior students played this concert that the next morning, like just house concerts sitting around the house. Like there were like five of us. Mm. And, um, you know, then the next day I got a, an email from that other sitarist. And I was like, hey, oh man, I met Bridget. I met, I met Barun Kumar Paul. It was so amazing. He was like, maybe you should study with him. You know, there's something in our tradition. So I had to like, I was like frantically trying to find his information because I just went to a workshop. I mm-hmm. didn't, wasn't going with any intention. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh yeah, you can come to India. And, you know, long story short, you know, the next year I went, I mean, it was, I had to jump through a few, uh, jump through a few hoops mm-hmm. to get to it. Um, and I think he wanted to find out if I was serious about wanting to be there. It was, it was kind of a little crazy time for me personally. what was india like i mean where 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 was the the so, seminar yeah. so when i went i my first week i flew into delhi mm-hmm. and the, the first week i studied uh with conjure the tibetan oh, buddhist yeah, master yeah at her retreat center yeah i'd already been studying with her for several years in baltimore huh and um so she I, was based out of baltimore at one point well, she not based out of Baltimore, but she would have a yearly retreat in Baltimore. Oh, it, was, wow. it started in like ninety four and went to around two thousand three or something. And that's Kondro Rinpoche, which is K H A N D R O. Yeah, yeah, Rinpoche. And um, you know, so I had already studied with her for several years. 
I knew some of the people that were already at her retreat center because they would always come. She's the daughter of... Of Minderling Rinpoche. Minderling Rinpoche, that's right. Yeah. It looks like mind rolling. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Mind rolling. He would roll your mind. (laughs) We used to make jokes about that. I actually like that phrase a lot. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, we can circle back. Like one of of my friends that was at studying with Rinpoche, Kondra Rinpoche in Mm -hmm. India, Mm -hmm. and she was kind of my guide for the week with somebody I had met when I did Fema's retreat. Oh, sweet. So... Um, you know, I stayed with Rinpoche for a week, which mm-hmm. was good because I probably would have been screwed if I didn't have like some Westerners there to guide me. Right. <laughs> for that first week. God, this is elaborate. The, the stage being set for all of this, it just seems like so ideal already. Ideal? I don't know. If that, well, I don't, just I don't know what you're taking care of. Yeah. Yes. I, I, yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was like of. kind of, Yeah. It was better that way because they were kind of giving me some lowdown, like, here's how you haggle, uh-huh. look out for these things, blah, blah, blah. Because I was, great. as I often do, to show up not knowing what the hell I'm doing, naive, yeah. just on intuition, which gets me so far. But yeah. Um, so, you know, I stayed a week there and then took the train back down to Delhi. And um, Burunji had recently moved to Delhi from Calcutta uh-huh. um, and was teaching at Sri Arbindo Ashram uh-huh. in, in New Delhi, which is like 20 minutes from the... the um, airport, and this is all it's some somewhat of culture shock for you, right? I mean, just <laughs> yeah. it is. I think even if you can try and prepare, yeah, from what I've you, heard, you can't prepare, right? I mean, and I'm curious what it's like now, but because um, it's been 14 years, 13 years since the last time I went to India. But um, what stood out to you about your first trip there? Um, what was uh, some of the standouts of the culture shock? Well, I mean, there were. You know, it was it was uh, extreme in both in every direction. Uh-huh. You know, like extreme beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like some of these the way that in in the good ways, the way that some of the culture, you know, uh, people treated their elders, mm. um, and the, the the deference and respect. Um, everybody doing namaste all the time, uh-huh. and um, you know, it was interesting. It was like this little kernel of like. Um, of goodness, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, we, we're missing that in our culture. Yeah. Um, you know, there was that, there was of course the, the, the naked poverty and, and like there's certain ways in which the corruption was completely unhidden. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, I remember some guy trying to like, I think when I, when I flew into Delhi, I was supposed to like take a, like go to this one train station to take the train to Dehradun to go study with Rinpoche. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this guy was clearly like trying to rip me off. Mm-hmm. And like, it was like, it was so obvious. Yeah. Um, those things, uh, I mean, there's, um, yeah, the contrast, the, like, uh, you know, there's one funny story. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you, listeners. Um, so I met this very pretty young woman. So I was like 32 and she was like 24 at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was, uh, she had come to say the, the, the ashram, um, was not be, being like within city limits and the, the sprawl had kind of grown around it. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, they had like a K through 12. Uh, they had a, like a, a, what do you call it? Vocational training there too. And so uh-huh. she had moved to the ashram to do vocational training. And, uh, she was like, um, yeah, I, my, my husband, like we got married. I think it was arranged. I won't swear to it. Mm-hmm. We got married and then he moved to Sweden. Like, six months later for work and she was stuck there mm. this like young pretty and uh 
energetic, shall we say. Sure. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Indian woman. Uh-huh. And, you know, she was very curious about this young American or, you know, youngish American guy who's there to study. <laughs> oh, you're studying Indian music. It's so beautiful. Mm. Wow, that's so amazing. Mm. I, I love American music. Do you like Britney Spears and like this kind of stuff? I'm like, yeah, not really. But. I wonder what it's like to listen to Britney Spears from another culture's perspective. Well, I, mean, India, I wonder if it could be like something really cool and well, psychedelic. In, India has a lot of really bad commercial music. So uh-huh. like, it's probably a perfect fit. Right, right. But, um, um, and then the the funniest one is we were sitting there. She had asked me about movies, and she was telling me about movies or something. And I was like rattling off this list of really you know kind of artsy movies, and and I um, <laughs> this is a hilarious story. <laughs> I, uh, I you know it's, I was like you know and this A two Mama Tambien had come out like the year before uh-huh. or something, and yeah. I was like oh my god this movie A two Mama Tambien it was like so gorgeous. I mean it's like there's a lot of sex in it, but it was just like a beautiful amazing and just the word sex. Yeah. And she f- kind of like, all of a sudden she was like, you have your potatoes, you can eat them. And I'm, and at first I didn't even, I like, I'm like sitting there completely stunned. I'm like, what, what just happened? Why did you, and, and she, you have your potatoes, eat them. And I'm like sitting there like, sex, sex that I said this word. And so she's freaking out like, you know, and so I'm like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. You know, like, you know, uh, I guess you guys don't talk about these kind of things. Uh huh. Um, but then the 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 coda to that one, which is makes it even more hilarious. So, like the next day or something, I'm walking by and her. She's standing outside of her room. Mm-hmm. She's like, Would you like to come in? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> we can talk more about this. And she's uh, like, "Hello, off the street. Your, your curls are very pretty." <laughs> and so, like, I'm like, at first, I'm like not totally grasping, and then I go in, and she starts like running her fingers through my hair. Oh wow! And I was like, "Got it. Oh, okay." Wow. I'm like, oh, "It was really nice talking to you." Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> oh wow! What a trip. <laughs> so, yeah. so it was this kind of repression, right? That you know, and like this, I must appear proper. Yeah, and then. You know, just totally caving. Right. Or not caving. I don't know what to call it, you know. Yeah. Um, it was very... Uh, submitting. Submitting, yeah. yeah. But in but it, with the invitation yeah. to join in the submission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you so you started studying. You, you What was it like going through the course and familiarizing yourself with the Indian slide? Yeah, that first or, year was really hard. Hmm. But, I mean, it was beautiful, too, of course. Um you know, I, I uh, each pretty much every time I, I would go, I end up studying uh, about twelve hours a day. Mm. Um, I mean, some of it I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to try to see if I can do this. Some of it was like, I'm just like, I'm here, got mm-hmm. nothing, much, not much better to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year was the hardest because um, even though technically I'd studied before, it was it was kind of like learning Spanish from a book and then going to Spain. And you're oh, like, right, you know, like. Um, and it's a I bit mean, of having your ha- your ass handed to you. No, uh, totally. I was, I was, you know, it was it was challenging from the point of view of just like I was having trouble keeping up, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I remember my teacher having to explain like the way the ornaments of Indian music work. One day, I was like, you know, you have to understand this because he would throw something out, everybody else could grab it right away. Mm-hmm. I was the only Westerner. It was um, me and like four or five Indian um, students, mm-hmm. and there was like one other side guitarist, like a bansuri violin tabla i think there's a vocalist mm-hmm. um you know so it was this kind of intensive and typically the way that what i started to find out later typically uh indian masters teach 
to whoever is the highest level in the room. Mm. And I, I, my meaning like that's where they direct it. They direct it towards that person and whoever else can pick up the scraps, then great. More or less. Yeah. yeah. I mean like they'll get benefit from it too, but it's, you know, he actually was like very explicit. He told me a cool story when, uh, one time he was studying with Ravi Shankar. So Mm -hmm. Ravi Shankar was his main teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and Ravi's still alive at this point. He was still alive at that point. And, uh, when he would been in, in his studying period and, he realized that Ravi G was everything that I think he had come and Ravi G was like disappointed in, and, or something like that. And then he realized from that point on everything that Ravi was teaching to all the students was really mainly for him. Mm. He like started looking around. He's like, they, they don't really understand this stuff. This yeah. is because I was having this problem or this problem or that problem. Yeah. Um, and, and I noticed him doing that to me huh. on my last visit where yeah. I'm like, Oh, everything he's teaching here is because, I like I didn't get it when I walked in, and I'm like apparently the most advanced student right now, right? Which is not a good <laughs> situation. <laughs> to oh, right, right. <laughs> Extra pressure. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so but also it, an honor, I imagine. Yeah, well. yeah, and when it was interesting, when I would notice that when I came to Cal Arts and studying with, so after I, I had a big falling out with that teacher with Barun Kumar Paul because uh-huh. he was too hard on me. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I'll say that some of that was his misunderstanding of me or a cultural problem and some of it was me misunderstanding me mm, <laughs> you know not knowing myself well enough right um and and uh it and that was that was on my third trip which was i was there for several months and um mm-hmm. you know so i i stopped studying with him from mm-hmm. that point and but i still loved indian music even though it was i was kind of confused about my relationship with it mm-hmm um, and by the way, Dave is going to play um, some songs uh, in a little bit on, the, on this podcast. He was yeah. nice enough to bring his instruments, and, and I've had the pleasure of sitting with it, and it's truly remarkable. It's something <laughs> that you don't hear every day, and I'm, I'm excited to, to share with you. Right. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, before going to India, and I had talked about it early on, this uh, sitting with Pema. Mm-hmm. How did that all come about? So Pema Chodron, the uh, right. the Buddhist teacher within Shambhala. Right. Well, um, you know, I was, when I got, a, I got out of college in 94, and um, I had kind of taught myself to meditate from books. Hmm. And uh, What was the impetus? For, for, to, learning, for yeah. learning meditation. Like, why did that stand out to you? <sighs> Man, I'm trying to think how to describe it. Um, you, you know, the simple way to put it was that I was not happy with myself. Mm. Um, you know, that I, I mean, my desire or understanding what meditation was, some of it was at that time I was like, I wanted to control my thoughts because uh-huh. I didn't like them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I made a lot of mistakes from my early, more or less teaching myself from books. Mm. So when I got out of I was a total wreck when I got out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I moved to Baltimore. And I was like, all right, I need to find a community. And I need to find some guidance with this stuff. And, um, you know, I tried like a Zen group, maybe one or two other groups. And then found the Shambhala Center. And, and um, Did yeah. Buddhism stand out to you as a central... Um, sort of uh, resource of meditation more than other traditions for some reason? Yes. I um, I, had, I think we talked about this when we talked at your, your birthday party. I'd found one time on vacation with, I think it was like a sophomore in college, and we were on vacation over Christmas. It was in this hotel. It was like our, the worst family vacation ever. Everyone in our family would admit it, and it wasn't <laughs> because of us. It was mm-hmm. because of outside forces. Mm-hmm. 
um, and we were staying in this hotel, and, and for some reason they had a copy of the that Japanese, the teachings of the Buddha. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, the yeah. Japanese on one side, English on the other side. Right. And I read the whole thing cover to cover uh-huh. during our trip because I had nothing else that was enjoyable to do. Oh, wow. Um, and I read it, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to, that's the tradition. I was kind of feeling lost at that, like, or not lost, but, like, wasn't sure. Yeah. So, you know, and I read, I had been to, like, one or two other Zen groups. Um, and I'd read some kind of more like Hindu Vedic, whatever mm-hmm. stuff, but Buddhist stuff seemed to call me the most, mm-hmm. um, you know, and when I, I, you know, the Shambhala center in Baltimore, I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day. Um, my best friend we met is from the Shambhala center 25 years ago. Nice. And, um, we were both commenting on the the specialness of the Baltimore Shambhala Center. Mm. Um, that uh, it had a very diverse crew. Yeah, like lots and lots of African Americans, mm. gays and lesbians. Oh, and, nice! You know, um, a very diverse group. Really, most probably the most diverse Shambhala group, or one of the right. best ones. Which I didn't realize until later. I'm like, yeah. how white bread Shambhala kind of is, right? Um, First established in what Vermont, and then they moved from to, from to Boulder. To Boulder, yeah. yeah. And, um, but it was a great group and they were, um, they really welcomed me and, and took care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of my main home away from home my whole time in Baltimore. Mm. Um, had you ever been a part of a group like that with, you know, sort of the, you know, a, a group of that diversity? No. Oh, nice. No. I mean, you know, I went to Catholic school, I went to nine years of Catholic school. Uh-huh. I mean, I did, you know, growing up in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, Annapolis, like Baltimore, I believe is or at least was back in the day a uh, um a uh, majority African American city. Oh wow, right? I yeah. Uh you wouldn't know it in Annapolis. Right. Because the Naval Academy and white people take care of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, right. Whatever. Yeah. Uh but Baltimore everybody knows it. Uh-huh. Um and and so I was always around black people outside of school. Yeah. Well, we had like three black people at my school. Uh-huh. You know, and then I'd go to work and I'd be like the only white dude. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh which yeah. was I, I'm really honestly like grateful for Me too. I had um, the same <laughs> upbringing. I was like one of the only white kids in my in my junior high and 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 it was I I felt like I touched in on a very small level to what they had experienced yeah. most of their lives of being sort of uh, the minority, you know, yes. and, yeah. and I got picked on and, and I kind of welcomed it. I don't know. I really wanted to be accepted and, and, um, I just allowed them to make fun of me as long as they would hang out with me. Right. Right. You know, that's funny. Yeah. where did you go? Uh, Pasadena. Oh, okay. but it was this, uh, school where, uh, this, this school where mostly African American and, um, and, uh, Armenian. Oh, right. Of yeah. course. Armenian. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, so the ball, you know, I hadn't even heard of, I had not heard of Trunk Rinpoche mm-hmm. or Pema before going to the Shambhala Center. I was just like looking for a meditation center. Yeah. Um, and I just happened to be extremely lucky because. Once again. This, this, the community, I mean, this is the reason why Contra Rinpoche kept coming back. Because uh-huh. she was like, I've traveled all over the world and you, you guys are the only ones that really seem to do it right. Baltimore in specific or yeah. Shambhala? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, or maybe, maybe that's too harsh of a way. That, that might not, like be too harsh of a way, but like, but the point being that that group was doing it the best. Other wow. groups would invite her, but you know, she felt like that there was something more, uh, truly heart based there. Wow. That's she, amazing. You know, would teach at other places too, but like not, 
she didn't do an annual retreat at other places. Right. And she's a part of a Tibetan Buddhist lineage, uh, the Nyingma, and um, she's just been highly revered for years as uh, some of the young hope of of the path flourishing and spotting um, Baltimore in specific. You know, I've heard that Buddhism is now seen to be like it's going to flourish in the West and that's been the prophecy or whatever. And it seems to be true, you Mm -hmm. know, in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely, I mean, it's going through major growing pains. Right. Right. No, (laughs) certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, that's a whole topic of, you know, I mean, honestly, like, um, you know, my Indian music experience. Yeah. And then seeing, though I didn't have the kind of negative experiences people had in Shambhala yeah. or with other Tibetan teachers, mm-hmm. but it's all kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, of this East meets West confusion. Yes. You know, right. I mean, Trunk Rinpoche did an amazing job of trying to get to know Westerners in a way that nobody had. Totally. Or has, really. Yep. You know, I mean, he's, even by people that, that think he was off base, mm-hmm. he's still like greatly respected yeah like, yeah he did like i mean you know the story i love telling is is at one of the andrew retreats with condor Rinpoche. um there was this one year where she uh I, it always chokes me up to think about it. Mm. And she was just like she just started bawling crying and mm. she was just like do not forget trump Rinpoche. you have no idea what he had to do mm. to to be able to say, i wouldn't be here yeah and like yeah. You know, just every time I think about that. Yeah. I mean, he was the person that led a group of 300 from Tibet to the uh, the border after three months of only traveling at night by yeah. moonlight. And he was like the compass. Yeah. With no other instruments, knew the, where to go and led 300 people who ended up being 13 in the end because they all passed away or, yeah. or, or, or dispersed. Or yeah. whatever, yeah. Right. They were eating their shoe leather <laughs> in the end, you know? <laughs> I was actually... Um, I'm currently writing a song that's partially based on that. Oh, beautiful. I mean, I, like, I, for some reason, Trump Rinpoche has been coming out a lot for me recently. So. Totally. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, I can tell people why. Can I tell people? Yeah, why? please. Like, just, yeah. you know, I, I started doing ayahuasca this year. Uh-huh. And it was quite interesting. Every single time, every single time I would do it, I would start thinking about or talking about Trump Rinpoche. No way. And I hadn't thought or talked about him like that in years. It was kind of interesting. Beautiful. Touch so. into that for a second. How's, how's your experience been with plant medicine? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> exciting. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I highly do don't re- <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> totally. Do, don't totally. do don't do. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting for me after meditating for, 25 years to have having done it uh i, I quite honestly I, I um i want to write an essay about it uh-huh um because um you know i feel like i made some breakthroughs but but also like the the com the relatedness mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think of a way to put it succinctly Oh, between the path and yeah between yeah, the but yeah. between buddha dharma and plant right. medicine right so and um you know, w- with ayahuasca in particular, you know, it's well known for its sort of cleansing yeah. negative energy from oneself. One way or another. <laughs> One way or another. <laughs> and what's quite interesting about it, um, and I, I I kind of had to think about it after 
it's, this is after contemplating a lot afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Tibetan tradition, there's the um, uh, Vajrasattva practice. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about this one. Yeah. Um, you know, you Tell vision- people, though. Yeah. Yeah. So in, um, you can read about it if you would like in the words of my perfect teacher by Pachal Rinpoche. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chapter about it. Um, and in it, you visualize the deity Vajrasattva on your head mm-hmm. and, um, and you're releasing through um, negative karma. Mm-hmm. He purifies your karma. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and his consort, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. and it actually manifests, you know, manifests as like spiders and insects and like gooey tar on your skin and mm-hmm. like comes out of every pore. All this is the negativity. On brand with ayahuasca. Well, yeah, that was the thing is like my, you know, I'm sitting there the first night in this bucket with like a bunch of creepy crawly spiders. Oh, wow. Looking at this in this bucket. And like, it was quite terrifying. I didn't want to look at it. And, you know, as after reading later, I'm like, wait, that's just, wait, that's the same description as, as the, what happens when you like creepy crawlies. That's like, what? Yeah. You know, so I I think it's, it can be a path towards that. I I don't think you can, I, I, you know, it's it's also interesting for me, somebody who's meditated and then going to these ceremonies totally. with people who have not right. and are like kind of new at this. And, um, you know, and I, I would recommend everybody to, to get a practice, right? you know, going on uh, to help with the integration. Um, yeah, was, even prior. I mean, I, I recommend people do, they they build a meditation practice and they also do some of the heavy lifting on their own of purifying some of the stuff and not put it all on ayahuasca to do. Yeah. You know, uh, cause that's a heavy load and not to say that it can't, but it's, you know, we have this tendency of looking to the next quick fix and ayahuasca doesn't, doesn't want to be used as your, your bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <know>? Definitely not. <laughs> right. No. It'll show you. Ayahuasca will show you who's who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, totally. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, though. So, that's great. Yeah. No, it, is, it was... Yeah, I mean, I now I've done three ceremonies. I'm going to do another one next month. But, nice. And I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a little terrified, which yeah. I like. I would recommend everyone to be. Yes. You know? Right. And Scariest night of my life, actually. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I went into it... Um, having been meditating in that tradition, in the... In, in, uh, the Nyingma tradition for 10 years hmm. and had, uh, was now teaching other people and had, uh, forgiven all of my, uh, my abusers of the past and all that and done a lot of the heavy lifting. So when I sat down, I was, I have to say I was probably at my most egoless point or like diminished ego, right sized. And when I sat there, I had this ego pop up going like, Look at all these non-meditators. You're going to fucking kill this. Sure, right. And then it's like, oh, you don't think you have attachments, huh? Well, how about we take your body? Is it all right if we kill you now? Can you just let go of your body? Yeah, and, and that well, was it. Six hours of death. For well, me. and that's, that's you know, one of the things I want to talk about in this essay is, um, you know, in the, in the Tibetan tradition, we've got the four thoughts that turn the mind to the Dharma, mm-hmm. or the four reminders is sometimes called. Um, Can you state what those are? Yeah. The first one is that we have a precious human birth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, for example, in words of my perfect teacher, they can go into great detail 
about that, meaning like, you know, you're human, you've mm-hmm. been able to hear, you actually have working functions, you're not born into animal realm or, right. or even into a God realm, mm-hmm. you know, where you're too self-absorbed. Right. You have just enough suffering. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. You know, um, and that the Buddha has taught mm-hmm. and that, you know, and like, you know, a, a common way for many people to connect to that one so it's not so heady mm-hmm. is to think about your personal teachers. Mm-hmm. So I think about that. Like I think about my teachers even – even Sakyam Lipam Rinpoche, mm-hmm. Khandra Rinpoche, Pema. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about them and even the smaller ones, like just my meditation instructor or something mm-hmm. like that. Like really grateful that these people were here to help me. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thought. I'm glad you had water. <laughs> Thanks. Huh. The second one is karma and its effects. I'm, I think that comes up for a lot of people in ayahuasca, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I mean, the precious human birth, maybe, maybe not, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a little specific to Buddhism technically, but it actually did come up for me in my second ceremony, and I actually had, like, a vision of my meditation instructor from 20-something years ago. Wow. I mean, you have, you it, you can be confronted with that when, if you're, you start to have fear over your body, you, yeah. you're thinking, wow, this is a precious thing. What did I do to myself? Why am I sitting here? Are well, it, yeah, maybe, but it's, I think the, the, my understanding of precious human birth is just, you know what I mean, is to realize how valuable your, your time is with Dharma, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you know, like don't waste time. Right. And, you know, it gets even more pointed in the third reminder, yeah, which is you are going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone will die. Yeah. You know, um, everything, um, not, there is nothing that is permanent. Yeah. And that's, you know, what, I mean, in my first, it was actually like, I don't know if I felt it so literally mm-hmm. at, in the first ceremony, because it was like a two, two night thing. But like right before the second ceremony, I was just like, what if I die? Mm-hmm. I was just like terrified. Yeah. I was, I was terrified. Had anybody told you that it's very rare that people die and that just to trust the medicine, you don't need to worry about your <laughs> fluctuating states? Because nobody told me that the first time. Not really. Yeah. You know, and second like, time there were some did. people like, you know, because I was ready to bail before the second night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were people there. And I didn't know anybody at the ceremony, too. Uh-huh. I'm not, not a single person. So I'm oh, like, wow. hey, who's this dude? Yeah. Like, you know, all right, what's up with the homie or whatever? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, whatever judgment I had. Sure. Um, so this is three nights in a row? Uh, it was two nights in a row. Two nights in a row. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, so that the just to recap the the reminders, mm-hmm. precious human birth uh, isn't one. Number two is karma and its effects. So negative karma, you get negative things. Positive, yeah, positive things. Um, third one is the inescapability of death, mm-hmm. and then the fourth one is the all encompassing nature of samsara and suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like then you can't you can't escape it. Yeah. You know, samsara is the endless cycles of birth and death and, and keep coming back into form and never sort of waking up and always remaining asleep and, and wasting the precious human birth and, and, uh, and just, it's the repetition. It's like when you wake up, if you haven't had any, if you remember what it was like before finding a spiritual practice or whatever, and some of the things that lead you to seeking out uh, traditions that can broaden your spiritual outlook. You know, you you remember this sort of Groundhog Day situation, and it's samsara is kind of like that yeah. in all of its variances of what it's like to live. You know, including the depths of sorrow and depression and anxiety, and then the the heights of you know success and all these things that just keep us stuck and not focusing in on what you're talking about here. You know, yeah, the important things. We will die. We will all die. You know, <laughs> and it's it's. You know, I mean, 
people have to remember that it's not a morbid thing. It's right. I, I think I read somewhere when it was like Bhutan, like like scores highest in the gross national happiness yes, um, thing. Exactly. And right. most people in Bhutan contemplate death, so right. they realize, oh, I'm not going to waste my my effort on stupid stuff yeah you know that doesn't benefit other people or benefit doesn't have benefit yep you know and uh i try to think about that remind myself of that so that it's what uh, was what was it that month like with pema um so the (laughs) the month we did uh so this is as it was at gampo abbey Mm -hmm. in nova scotia nice um and uh it was called and gampo alley is her it's it's where she lives where she, she spends most of her time when she's yeah. not out um uh, offering retreats yeah. uh, throughout the country and the world and and it was a um uh it was called leaving home and becoming homeless and it was mm. uh like a rite of uh, kind of modeled after a rite of passage for young people so mm. like it was the the people that were attending were all uh hypothetically 16 to 25 mm. Um, so it was all young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was 25 at the time. Um, and, um, we all shaved our heads mm-hmm. and wore robes for the month. Nice. And took precepts for that month. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, and I, I got to have maybe like two interviews with her mm-hmm. and, um, I remember I had requested one. I think one was kind of like a generic one that everybody got, you know? Mm-hmm. And then another one, I was like, I'm having difficulty. Can I talk to Pema? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember what it was that was going on with me, but it was like a little bit bullshitty, apparently. Because mm. Pema was like, she sat there, she's like, no, no. What, <laughs> what's really going on? You know, like, what, what are you needing? What, you know, like this mm. kind of like, not quite haughty, but like, just like cut through. Yeah. And I was just like, kind of taken aback because I was just like, it's very direct. Just, I didn't want to deal with myself. Uh-huh. Um, and I couldn't answer. I don't remember being able to answer it. You and, there, know? and there you are. And there I was, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I remember, like, this, like there was, like, one of the monks that, that lived there, you know, was, was offered as somebody to talk to if you were, like, needing to talk through stuff. Or, and, mm-hmm. You know, and I made a few friends, of course. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it was a, it was a really beautiful, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The, the nuns, it was run by nuns. There was a monk that lived there that wasn't like running our program. So mm-hmm. there was, we were kind of in a separate uh, um, location on the Gampo Abbey ga- grounds from like the rest of the oh, gotcha. people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, like I'm young, so I had like huge crushes on, you know, several women. <laughs> say the vast majority of them uh-huh. <laughs> some nuns or not no no i no. mean the, the the women in the part you <laughs> gotcha. know like that were participating i might have a crush on the nuns i mean actually I'm, I'm <laughs> here was was one really interesting thing so like on the last day um you know, had like a celebration and actually it was really sweet like uh somebody gave pema like bubbles as a teacher's gift oh you know so good and so like so she's going through and normally like in a you know in like a kind of a one of these situations she might go through with incense and she's going through with Bubbles, bl- blessing bubbles Amazing. on everybody. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but the, well, one of the things that really stuck out to me, so we'd been wearing robes the whole month. And yeah. so, like, you know, you're developing a crush based on, like, somebody's face and a bunch of flowy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it was a shock to be like, 
oh, you are a woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know, right. like, oh. Right. You know, like, the, like just like this month of like kind of it tamped down. Yeah. And uh, then I, I suppose that's the point, right? I mean. That was part of it. Shaving the head and, yeah, and wearing like the robes to, is sort of just like you, what defines you as this or that is sort of gone and you're just yeah not special important or anything somewhat just, yeah. yeah you know i mean we like we um if we had uh pe- i had already taken refuge with condor and bache but we generally uh and there are a few people that took refuge for the program with pema can you tell people what t- taking refuge means sure uh taking refuge uh, is sort of the first formal declaration of becoming a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're, you're taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha mm-hmm. as your refuge from like the craziness of samsara. Mm-hmm. And um, I had already taken refuge, but we used our refuge names. Mm. So like we got done and, you know, like people didn't know each other's regular English names because oh, yeah. we were just like, I, I was Guillerme. Mm. That was my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was great. How do you uh, spell Guillerme? It's G-Y-U-R-M-E. You know what mine is? Hmm? Jigme. I'm Jigme. Oh, Jigme? Yeah. Nice. What, what's Jigme mean? Fearless. Fearless. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a special time. I mean, I also, um, yeah, I'm I'm super glad I did it. It was a, I mean, it was also an interesting time for me where like me and some buddies drove up, mm. and then me and my one that same best friend I was talking about earlier, yeah, just only the two of us drove back because like one person got a ride with somebody else, another person stayed on at the at the at Gampo Abbey or something. You got to really dig in with just one other person. Well, <laughs> he actually did a different program oh, in did. Nova Scotia. Um, and I hitchhiked to him from Gampo Abbey. Oh, gotcha. But, okay, uh, which was kind of interesting but yeah um but i mean it was just like you know kind of young people stuff to do yeah you know and we vowed to not eat any food until we returned to baltimore <laughs> cigarettes and and uh, uh cigarettes coffee and snack what do you call it a uh, trail mix right only. right so we're like nice 20 we drove straight from Nova Scotia. Seems like a lot of pooping involved with <laughs> all three of those. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. We were like, you know, hardcore crazy, just drove throughout the night. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, <laughs> so. and so, and and I'm going to have you play some songs here. Yeah. And by the way, this I love this conversation so much. It's so great to hear about your life. And, and I, it's nice <laughs> to to relate so much. Like, you know, I'm usually the one that's, uh, talking about a lot of these things and it's right. new to people and and to hear somebody who's just you know the the um, shorthand uh, right. conversation it's right. just it's good for my soul um, you were playing the other night at my birthday you play songs on the classical guitar almost in a and I'm, I'm hoping I get this right, but sort of a bossa nova style. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't describe it as bossa nova. No, okay, but, but uh, you're playing funny. classical songs, yeah, but yeah. songs that are popular. Like mm-hmm. you did a version of Smells Like Teen Spirit, which right, right. is amazing to hear it in this way. And it feels like I want to give you so much credit for <laughs> the orchestrations of this, like the translating of <laughs> all of the different, you know, the the vocal lines and the the um, the chords and cha- and having one instrument uh encapsulate all of that is pretty amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that one uh yeah, I'll try not to give too much background, but 
when I first got out of college, I was really into Nirvana. Yeah. I mean, he had already died. Yeah. Oh. When right. I got out of college. Oh, right. Um, but before, yeah, he yeah, died in, he yeah. died like about a month before I graduated. Yeah. Um, but and I wasn't into him when I was in college. Yeah. Because I was so like uh, blinders on, like studying classical guitar. Yeah. And I got out and was just an angry mess. Um, and I started like partially trying to sing like him, like my first band. Oh, I think yeah. I told you when we were, when we were uh, before we started recording, I like I called it Cobain meets Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there was something that actually spoke to me even through all the like confusion and, mm-hmm. and anger of his music. And then I'm, you know, it's pretty far away from where I am mm-hmm. now musically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, being like around 10 years ago, I was like, almost trying to like kind of make peace with my, I'm like, all right, you know, like I, I can't really listen to Nirvana much anymore. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't really fill me up. Um, but I can listen to it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. isn't it? Have you put together the, I have this fascination with after I watched a montage of heck. Do you know this documentary? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like partial. It, yeah. It's really amazing. And watching it with all this Buddhist training for all these years now, I can see that he, the band really lived up to its name mm-hmm. and that there was this, this it's, uh, sort of saturated in Buddhism and a lot of the concepts that are talked about, including like uh, not non grasping, mm. you know, like you, you want your voice of a generation, you want your, you know, right, right. and then I'm, uh, he, he disintegrated, you know, I mean, he just like, he wouldn't give people what they were looking for, much like Chogum Trumpa, right. you know, in the end, I mean, drinking himself to death, which right. is, you know, and right. it's one of these controversial aspects of right. his life, one of the many. <laughs> but, but sort of let you know, people are like, I, Pema's famous for saying, you know, I can't really find ground for most of what he did, but I can't also not find like find. Did you, know, you see there. the the documentary about Trinkler? Yeah, Shea? I love it. And her 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 quote, which is like, you know, she's like, yeah, I don't know. She's yeah. like in that place of unknowing, and, yeah. and I think. You know, I think that's the best place. Totally. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, Kirk Cobain, I mean, he was pretty brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, his, like, what he was able to do lyrically, yeah. even though it tended towards darkness. Totally. You know, just from a, even just a pure technical point of view, like, yeah. lyrically, the dude's brilliant. And this, and the associations with the Beatles are, I feel like, really accurate. Like, his use of melody. Yeah. Is just, it's, it's beautiful. Like, something in the way is so simple of a song. But it's so beautiful, and it does the job. It, it yeah. does it with very little. Well, like, that one's a great one because it's a play. Yeah. You know, on, on that, you know, I mean, like, you know, he probably, like, he's like, let's see, we've got something by George Harrison. We've got something in the way she moves by right. by James Taylor. And he's, like, playing on that. And that's what he would do all the time. And, uh, all, like, all those double meanings and right. all that kind of stuff that, like, very few people could pull off. That's right. I yeah. wonder if you would do Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, let me, let me get my right? guitar. Okay, great. So um, the thing that we didn't talk about is that I have like some, uh, besides classical guitar training, I also studied jazz with Charlie Bird. And then I, um, when I went to grad school, I studied Balkan music and African music. Holy shit. Um, so I, tr- you know, like this, and you know, besides of also, of course, studying Indian music, like yeah. trying to like bring all those different things in the way that I play it and also like trying to touch on like um, what was kind of behind his angst, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I remember one time when I was fresh out of college listening to, I think it was the album in utero and there was something where I just started crying. Yeah. Listen to it. 
you know, and it wasn't like one of the like it wasn't a slow song, right? But it was like I could feel like there just this pain was so intense, you totally. know, and just trying to um, kind of honor that in a way. I don't know how to, another way to put it. Beautiful. So, yeah.
Dave Cipriani. Smells like teen spirit interpreted through 30 years almost of meditation. Almost. Almost. Wonder if you wouldn't mind playing uh, the slide guitar now to take us out of the podcast. So I'll play a little bit of, um, this is actually an evening log, even though it's early afternoon right now. But, um, it's evening somewhere. It's evening somewhere. Isn't it? This is Rag Yaman, which is kind of one of the first things that most people learn. So Alap is the kind of more meditative part.
Insanely beautiful. <laughs> Insanely beautiful. I'm so happy Oof, to have a friend who plays that well. Insanely beautiful is what I was <laughs> hoping for. <laughs> we, we, um, we wanted to make people sane. May that insane. be a wish. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely an aspiration for all. Yeah. Um, Dave, where can people find you? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, DaveCipriani.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you spell your last name? Yeah, it's uh, C-I-P. R-I-A-N-I, sometimes pronounced Cipriani, but not by me personally. Gotcha. And um, I'm on Instagram. I post probably about every month or two. I don't know. Is it at Dave Cipriani as well? Uh, What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. I think it probably is. Uh, Yeah, let me look. I'll have to turn off my thing here. What? And then uh, is your music, while you're searching for that, is your music also available anywhere streamable? Yes. um, I have it available. There's, my first album was under David Cipriani. That one's kind of so-so. There's some good stuff on it. Uh, But then my band called Mahadev Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. is the most recent stuff that's available. What Uh, does Mahadev translate as? The literal meaning is great God, mm, um, nice. and uh, but it's kind of a play on words because my teacher used to sometimes call me Dev accidentally. Uh-oh. Dev, come here. <laughs> That's so great. Trying That's to be great, great Dave. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Um, so, uh, and that's a mostly instrumental mm-hmm. um, thing. The the second album came out like four years ago. I, I'm really proud of both of the albums. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, some amazing. Musicians like a bunch of almost everybody involved went to Cal Arts. Oh, nice. Um, there's like two a lot of great things came out of Cal Arts, yeah. Well, um, you know, a lot of my classmates were amazing musicians. Did Tim Burton go there? Tim Burton, I don't, you know, I don't know if he went there. That's a good question. I think Paul Rubens did, right? yes, right. Um, David Hasselhoff, <laughs> Katie Seagal, <laughs> uh, but to get uh, Robbie Coltrane, oh, uh-huh, wow, and actually, uh, recent, uh, 
uh, was it Pulitzer Prize winner? Uh, it was a classmate of mine, Ellen Reed. Mm. So uh, she was like a year behind me, and we were in some classes together. Um, but, but you can find your music where, yeah, if where you, if on you, iTunes? It's iTunes, Spotify. Great. Um, if you, you may have to type it as two different words. Like f- for some reason, sometimes it's all one word, M-A-H-A. Dev, uh-huh. and sometimes it's two. Okay, and the first album is just Mahadev, and then the second one is called "My Heart Is Pierced." Mm. You can thank Trump Rinpoche for that yes. idea, right? Um, and uh, the second one's really cool. It has uh, there's like some Afrobeat stuff on there. There's like this kind of Indian Miles Davis Kowali tune. When I got an actual Kowali singer, it's oh, a nice. singer from Pakistan. Nice. Um, I mean, he's not actually from Pakistan, but. Um, that's the style is mainly from Pakistan. Gotcha. Um, and we even do a Van Morrison cover on oh, there. Oh, killer. Which one? Like, uh, Sweet Thing. Oh, sure. From Astral Weeks. Yeah, nice. So that one we've got like, I think two or three percussionists going, Indian violin, tabla. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a string kind of cello arrangement on it. And you're available for gigging. I mean, a, for for any for most occasions, I imagine. I'm available for most occasions. <laughs> yes, come have Indian music for your bar mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been doing as many private events with Indian music lately. Um, yeah, it's been this kind of, you know, what pays the bills versus right. what is my absolute true love. Yeah. Um, though I have to say, I generally... Yeah, most of the gigs I play, they're fun no matter what, even if I'm playing like Western classical music and yeah. occasionally I have to like hold my breath and that doesn't happen anymore usually. But What would you like to say as an aspiration for all the listeners? You know, what would you, what would be a wish for, for them all? For the listeners? Yeah. For in closing. <laughs> I wish everyone to, uh, uh, you know, certainly happy. I wish for everyone to have happiness, uh, everyone to have the strength and courage in um in both in looking in and as well as like looking out at our current world because mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little dicey yes um you know and this is one thing i think about a lot that trump Rinpoche taught you know was raising what he called wind horse yes you know um that we need that mm-hmm. and uh look it up people yeah wind horse yes <laughs> yeah it'll take you an hour or an afternoon or or a season of your life to to get it, but it's it's very straightforward, and you can find information on Windhorse anywhere. Yeah, beautiful man. Thank you for coming over thanks. on such short notice. Absolutely, yeah, it's really for great. Me. Let's do another one. Absolutely, soon. we I'd will. love to get some more music recorded of yours and to continue <laughs> the conversation. Sounds good to me. All right, beautiful. All right, take care until next time. Thanks, Jamie.